Hey guys, it's Greg from 2216 Podcast, joined here by Jake and Dave again. Uh, we're doing another quick episode here. We had some lingering questions revolved around a little more of the wildland fire aspect, so we decided that we're going to jump on and go a little more in depth into that and uh, how it relates to the Rural Fire Service and how it relates to us specifically. So guys, welcome back. Thanks for having us, Greg. Um, Hi, Greg. Hi, everybody. For this episode, Dave's kind of our resident woodsman, so he's going to take the lead on this <laughs> a little bit more. So, Dave, why don't you get us started, and we'll get right into this. Sure. Uh, so, Before Dave starts, a little backstory on Dave. The reason why he's our resident lumberjack is uh, um, he actually used to be a lumberjack. He used to have the overalls, the flannel shirt. <laughs> And would cut down the old redwoods in California. It's all his fault for the deforestation. <laughs> I did. I did work at a sawmill for a while. So, <laughs> um, no. So uh, we're you know quickly approaching brush fire season here in Pennsylvania, New York. Um, springtime with that comes uh, you know drier conditions. Uh, we still have leaves on the ground from the fall. So um, we're going to be starting off with uh, brush fire season here right around the corner. Uh, typically. Actually, I saw today there was a brush fire in, in Schuylkill County. So, I mean, it's happening already. We're starting to get some. It's pretty dry. It's been pretty dry in the area here. Um, so, you know, we're, we're going to be moving into that aspect of the uh, of the season. Um, some things to really point out, I guess, some of the questions, um, you know, uh, what do we do for brush fire? Our brush fire response, uh, once you get there, how do you set up tactically? Um, some of those things. So, I guess... Go ahead. Oh, Jake, I thought you said something. No, no, sorry. Um, yeah, so uh, typically we, uh, you know, if we get dispatched to a brush fire, um, you know, a couple things to keep in mind. Um, your first two area, know your first two area, know what the conditions are going to be or expect the conditions to be when you arrive on scene, um, given the given the location of the incident. Uh, for example, we're covered um, by state game lands all the way around our municipality, both sides. Um, it has a lot of rocks. There's a lot of rocky conditions, um, pretty steep hills. So if we get a brush fire, we, we anticipate um, limited travel for any apparatus. Um, it can be a lot of on-the-ground uh, work, you know, fire line work. Um, you know, we can get some UTVs in in some places, but it's pretty it's pretty remote, honestly. I know you guys face similar situations and conditions up where you're at. You may have the, the 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 logging road that goes through from you know 20 years ago that somebody had left in, but other than that, there's not a lot of uh, travel space for brush fires. So you know the biggest thing I think is just making sure that we you know your terrain, you know what you're going into, make sure you dress appropriately. Um, one of the big things I see a lot, especially in this area, is um, departments going to brush fires and utilizing turnout gear. Um, it's a huge factor in slowing you down. It's not really the safest. Um, they do make specialized, uh, you know, forestry gear for brush fires and that kind of stuff. So just make sure you have the appropriate gear on. Now, if you have turnout gear and that's all you have, then that's what you use. But, you know, trying to hike up hills and turnout pants and a coat and a helmet, it's a lot of, a lot on you to try to go up and down hills and especially try to put fire out, especially when you're trying to move, you know, with speed to try to get around the fire. Um, a couple other things, just know what resources you have available to you. Like, again, if you have UTVs available to you, if you have brush trucks, um, tankers, 
We're fortunate we have a department, uh, this mutual department to us that has a very big tanker that's um, all-wheel drive, um, and they that definitely helps out a lot. You know, two thousand or three thousand gallons of water coming in to basically anywhere you want it to go. So that definitely helps a lot. Um, and just know what your guys are capable of. I guess is the the biggest thing. So that's what we have for you know one of the questions. You guys want to join in on anything there? No, uh, um, yeah, like for, for, for our department, we actually bought, um, some separate stuff for, like we changed our SOP so you don't have to wear your full PPE for like the wildfires. And we bought like, you know, the hard helmets and, and the fire gloves and like we have strict regulations because, you know, I'm sure all of us being in an officer's position, we'll all laugh at this, but we always got that one guy who shows up in sandals and socks or Crocs. Mm-hmm. Go out there and put the fire out. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we have. Um, we have. So, if you don't have uh, forester gear, um, the expectation is, you know, jeans, uh, boots, steel toe boots, um, uh, you know, like a flannel shirt, and you know, we have hard hats or your fire helmet. If you don't have the forester gear, so. Um, you know, it happens where we don't, we can't fit out, outfit everybody. I'm sure there's a lot of departments out there, especially the rural departments that don't have the financing to outfit everybody with forestry gear. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you got to be able to adapt and overcome, but do it safely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Greg, what do you guys do for wildfires? Try to send somebody else to him. No. No, so here, I don't know, for whatever reason, we tend to get into quite a few of them a year. Um, so same deal. You know, we've got we've all got the trucks that are outfil- outfitted with it. The one thing that we're short on is, you know, Jake's fortunate they have a UTV in their station. We don't have that here. Um, so we talked yesterday about equipment a little bit, or the other day about equipment a little bit so we've got our ford f-350 brush truck that's you know outfitted with the indian tanks rakes brooms hand lines all that fun stuff and that's great um the thing that we've we've kind of been working on a lot lately if we've changed around a little more to where we're getting more into the fire lines um now fire lines that's more so you're not necessarily going right out Spraying the wa- spraying the fire with water and things like that, and having to carry those heavy Indian tanks on your back and all that. You know, you're using your you're using your tools and actually going around and making a barrier between what's already burnt and what's not burnt to get it contained, and then doing mop up after that. Uh, the one thing that I always that I always feel like there's an issue with, I don't necessarily want to call it freelancing, uh, but it's you'll have you'll always have those guys that show up and just kind of start wandering. You know, they'll they'll be there, they'll yeah. grab whatever, and then they'll just disappear. They don't take a radio with them, and they're just out for a walk in the woods. You catch them at the top of the hill at the at the top of the fire, you know, trying to make a fire line by themselves. You never know where they're at. You never know what they're up to, if they're safe. I mean, you see it all the time. Every brush fire I think I've ever been on, that happens. Yeah, exactly. And accountability is hard. Like, you do your normal structure fires, it's relatively easy to keep your accountability we're going to need pretty much on par. We don't have when you get out to where you're dealing with, let's take even an acre or two. We're going to need that second line. It's a lot tougher to on the keep accountability nowhere. 
you know, your guys are, where your mutual aid companies are, because I don't know about you guys, but generally when we okay. get any fires like that, we're calling in mutual aid companies from, you know, at least two or three other departments. Uh, yeah. Yep. Because I feel like, I, I feel like there's, it's as much physically challenging or line, more to a certain extent, depending on you know, conditions and, and all that. But when it's 90 degrees out and you're walking a steep, steep hill trying to chase fire down and if you're wearing wearing your indian tanks and things like that that gets tough on your body and i feel like it drains you down maybe even quicker than what it does inside buildings with your scba on yeah i mean yeah it, like being a bigger guy like myself you know i i know we talked about it on the last episode i've made a comment being a bigger guy like that's why i'm not a big you know wildfire guy is just because you know, like, well, for one, I'm just not a hiker in general. Um, unfortunately, you know, I've kind of switched from the interior role to an officer role because I do have some issues with my feet and so on and so forth. So it's hard for me to carry Indian tanks around, climb around and that. So, like, my role now at, at, a, um, at, a, at a wildfire is more, I, I usually just drive the UTV and it fits, you know, it fits the role pretty well and you know, take people in and out to help assist, cut the fire fire lines and so on and so forth. But, you know, coming from a city department originally, when I was younger and did most of my training, we didn't do a lot of training on that kind of stuff because there isn't any. Um, but um, can't complain. I mean, I guess I kind of enjoy it, but I don't really enjoy it at all. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, when, 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 the other thing that really gets me going, though, let me tell you something that grinds my gears about outdoor fires. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about it at the last uh, at the last taping about the the big uh, the generational style, whatever you want to call it, wildfire we had in Jasper. But does anybody, Greg and Dave, do you, do you know why so many acres burned in that fire? Can can, can anybody well, guess? I, I, I'm assuming you're going to tell us. Overnight. Um, yeah, but so it could have easily been contained, but this is what happened. Okay. And this is what really yanks me was it was on state land. Okay. So the, 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 the forest rangers came in, would not let us cut fire lines, would not let us cut any trees down to create a fire line, would not let us do anything because it was state land and they didn't want us to ruin the ecosystem, which I understand. But that was it. We could not fight. We could. They would not let us cut a fire line. We could cut a fire line if we could find a way where we didn't have to remove any trees. We couldn't touch any trees that were already falling on the ground. We weren't allowed to cut any trees down at all. So the fire would got once it got in the pines, it just jumped from tree to tree. It didn't matter how big of a fire line you had. Even the access roads that were through there, it would jump right over the road because the trees. And it's like, it was stupid. We were just stuck there throwing water on something we couldn't stop or couldn't control. Giant waste of time, put all of us in, in, in danger. And it was just dumb. It really, really aggravated me to the point that, I mean, I, I, from my understanding how the, how the rules work, I eventually pulled the Greenwood chief to the side and said, technically, you're in charge over the state rangers. So if you tell me to cut a fire line, cut trees down, legally, I can do whatever the hell I want. Um, I mean, right. within reason, um, but it just it just turned into a whole mess, and and we had farmers that showed up with their farm hands and tractors that were willing to cut an actual line that was a vehicle width, 
stuff like that. Like people were there to help, but they turned them all away and said, no, we can't do that. That really kind of yanked me. Yeah. So we're fortunate in PA. Um, we were, we have a, I th- everywhere I've been, like, it doesn't matter if it's Dauphin County, Potter County, it doesn't matter. We've always had a good working relationship with uh, state forestry. DCNR, the DCNR guys are great. They come out with, you know, their own fire apparatus. They come prepared. Basically, they're, they're our relief, um, essentially. So, you know, the fire department will get dispatched. We'll go out. We'll assess the situation, begin to start our fire lines, begin to start, you know, everything that needs to happen. And uh, they come out, you know, we call them, notify them. They'll come out, you know, they'll do their own reconnaissance and they'll either assist us or they'll just say, hey, you guys are good to go. We'll take care of it. Typically in the mop-up stages, they'll, you know, they'll just release the fire department and they'll have people on the fire line all night monitoring. Um, but they are great. So uh, I was on a, a fire down in Austin uh, a few years back, uh, Lower Potter County. Um, it was a fairly significant fire to begin with. Like it had started as a big fire before anybody caught it and it was moving pretty quick uphill, real windy day. Conditions were perfect for a brush fire. And, uh, we, you know, um, the first arriving companies, Austin, ourselves, Countersport, you know, did what we could. We basically split off to the two different flanks. You went your uh, left flank, your right flank, and, uh, tried to get up around it to contain it. And we just didn't have enough people. Um, DCNR arrived with their crew and they went up around us and got to the head of the fire and basically, you know, started working back down around us. So we had a great working relationship with them. Um, they are, you know, really good to work with. Um, they do have their own, like I say, again, suppression trucks that they have that are four wheel drive, um, you know, forestry trucks that they can come in and, you know, knock down fires with. And we have UTVs that, you know, we assisted them, giving them a ride up and, and that kind of stuff. So, um, it is, yeah, we're fortunate. I mean, I, we don't run into that same situation that you guys did up there in Jasper. That was crazy, the amount of fire that that had. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's the only time I've ever, ever ran into, like, that situation where, like, they wouldn't let us do anything. And, I mean, that maybe that's a little prideful of me to say, say it like that because, you know, just standing there, not being able to do anything, you know, and always, you know, fighting fire my whole life, it just kind of left me like I felt helpless, if that makes sense, you know, just because, yeah. you know, the whole point of being a fireman is is just that, is, you know, putting fire out. And then when you take that away from me, it makes it, you know, difficult for, I guess, my pride. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. And then in, yeah. The same, in the same token, then we got banged out while we were there. For because we felt like we weren't doing anything, so we felt like we we're not contributing. And then, in the same token, then Andover got banged out for a fire off at Tall Pines ATV Park. That you know, our department was empty, so there was nothing we could do. So, like, it just you know, like all of those contributing factors made it so we we're just annoyed. Or I was, I can't speak for everybody there, that wouldn't be fair for me to do that, but I was annoyed as hell. Yeah, I got you. And it- it makes sense. I mean, we're there to do a job, right? And if you're going to request resources, make sure that the resources can do what they need to do. But again, we're kind of at the mercy of, um, you know, the if it is state game land and you're at the mercy of the the state responders, you know what I mean? That they're they're the they're the professionals. They're the guys that are there to do it. So I understand. I see both sides of it. I see the frustration on your end, but I also understand where they're coming from. Oh, somebody's got a fire call. Nope. Nerds. Sorry, anyways, go on. <laughs> well, I was like, ooh. Oh, wait, is that Irons now? Road? Is that the famous Irons Road? 
No, that's up on Imer. Oh, Imer. I thought I heard an iron there. Yeah, not far. Not far. Pretty close. You know, not to jump off topic, but I feel like every department has that one road that you just worry about. Yeah, especially that road. Seems like it's once a month. Yeah. Anyways. Once a month? It's more than once a day. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That is fair. Um, no, and so let's let's talk a little bit about building the fire line. Greg, you guys do it a lot. We do it a lot. Jake, you guys, I'm not sure if you do or not, but. I don't know. If I'm at work, I stay at work for us. <laughs> I'm a bad fireman. <laughs> yeah. See, Just say it, Greg. Just say it. <laughs> no. No. Actually, this all does come into play with, with the small volunteer world, though. You figure you take – we're all working. We're all working men and women. We all have jobs. We all have families. We all have – you know, we're, we're so busy outside of the fire service. So you take – I don't want to say this rudely, but none of us are really in, you know, perfect condition. We're not in the best of shape, let's face it. So to go out and start hoofing hills with five gallons of water on your back, that's uh that 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 gets old. That gets tough. So the part I like about the fire lines, one, you're using something that's way lighter. You don't have to worry about refilling the can on your back. You're you know, generally walking a lot, you can walk a little faster, you can walk a little lighter using, you know, say you have a rake or a shovel, Pulaski's, whatever you're using. Um, and if you, if you have a good crew of people, you all get in the same motion, you can actually get that line built pretty quick. So I think that's the biggest part is, you know, you get there, containment is always the first thing. And I know the fires that we have around here, as well as the fires that you have around Dave, you know, we may not have many of them that are real big, but once conditions are right for it, fires will spread faster than you could even, you can even blink. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, I think the, I think the fire line aspect of it, and, and then not to mention, you know, after you leave, who's to say that some of those embers don't reignite and all of a sudden you've got a bigger problem the next day? You know, unfortunately, that's that's happened relatively recently within the county, and um, you see it all the time. You know, out west, obviously, they're dealing with several thousands of acres, whereas here we're dealing with generally, if we what we consider a big fire might be two to three acres, if that. You know, but even then, you take two acres, and and that's a lot. So, to given given the dry conditions you might think that you have that two acres out and then all of a sudden there might be one tree that's burning inside. Well, it's still dry overnight. All the water dries up, bam, that reignites and you got another problem. So the fire line kind of helps to mitigate that problem. Uh, I'm, I'm big on, I want to have a fire line around all of our fires, you know, to a certain extent. So I don't know. I mean, I guess that's just really... That's really one of the conversations where each department does it differently. Each commander likes to have it differently. So I don't know. What's your guys' thoughts? Yeah, we do. Uh, we do like full containment, right? So our job is to get out, contain it, and we we base it on is it partially contained, um, or is it fully contained? And then we try to get a update from. We split off. So like you said about the manpower. So typically, what we try to do is split off with departments. We know we have three departments going this way, three departments going that way. And there's always going to be a uh, like a line commander 
um, somebody that we can talk to, you know, and get a status update, so to speak, um, of progress being made, you know, and it is taxing. So, you know, four foot wide down to the dirt, it's a lot of moving leaves and brush and a lot of stuff. So when you start getting into that, you know, you're wearing people out. So it's nice to have at least, you know, we try to get as many crews, you know, two to three crews on a, on each flank and then start sending replacements as they arrive, you know, depending on the size of the fire. A two-acre fire is pretty substantial, especially in the woods. It looks a lot bigger than what it is. A lot of smoke being put off. Um, you're not sure how far the fire is extended um, until you get somebody to the top of it. And typically, we try to send somebody up to the top to try to determine, hey, I'm at the top of it. I'm going to start working my way back down. You know, it's either slowing up. It's not slowing up. It's, you know, it's going this way. It's going that way. Um, you know, a lot of it's east to west here. Um that's where we kind of run into problems or west to east, depending on the wind. So, you know, if it's coming down the valley, you could be going west to east and your fire line has to reestablish and we keep working our way to the left, you know, and I just have to adapt and overcome. If that fire starts pushing. You're gonna have to go out, try to get out around it to get ahead of it. And sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. I've been on a few fires, uh, cinema honing Austin area that there's a lot of fire and a lot of people. And you had to do what you could to get around it. Guys are getting spent. You're getting, you know, up in there, getting the fire line dug and, you know, dropping snags that are across the line, dropping it back into the black and uh, making sure that everything's, you know, decent. So you're not reburning anywhere. Like Greg said, there could be a snag. It's halfway over the fire line. It took heat. You don't see it when you're underneath it. But, you know, we try to do our best to remove everything out of that, that four foot area on the way up. Um, I've seen fire lines that are, you know, two foot and the fire jumps it and it takes off behind the guys um you know so the wider the better obviously the more you can get out and there's sometimes you can if you're working a lot of rocky areas and stuff try to get what you can um we had a fire in dolphin when i was uh chief at 30 they went up the side of a hill and it was miserable trying to make a fire line there was big boulders and rocks and trying to get in between it and get it scraped down and um so that's that slows you down there too so, I mean, there's other things to look at in that aspect of it. Jake, what are your thoughts? I mean, <clears throat> like how we do our fire lines is, as we try to box it in, just like everybody else does, to a point. And then usually if we have enough manpower or, like, so our thought is, and mind you, this is just our thought, and also it doesn't always work out this way, but um, let's say we got like an acre burning, right? So we're going to we're gonna probably call in, you know, probably three, four brush trucks. And the reason why we're going to do that is because we're going to send each truck to each corner. So we're going to break it down kind of like your house. So you're going to have, do you know what I mean? You're going to have yep. your Alta, Bravo, Charlie, Delta. And then each department will cut a fire line in each one and try to box it in to stop it. Um, now, if we have a natural, uh, a natural, you know, fire block like a road, you know, then 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 we, we might save on manpower, or we might direct a team to somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So it all just depends on scene size up when we get there and how good it's burning. The other thing that plays into it, um, which we don't discuss enough, and we probably should is what is burning. And what I mean by that is, I'm sure you guys agree with me, there's a difference between just a big empty field burning of grass or getting into the pines. Because once they're in the pines, it's going to burn quick, it's going to move quick, it's going to burn hot, and it's going to be loud. Do you know what I mean? Where when it's just in like a grass field or a brush field with a bunch of 
you know, what's those those plants called? Those burdots or whatever the hell they're called, the ones that would stick to you that are annoying. <laughs> the burdock, yeah. 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 Like if it's just a field full of that stuff, then to me it's not as worryable. It's a little bit more containable, but if it gets into a bunch of pine trees, then you're just kinda just screwed. So we categorize that a little differently. So if I'm looking at a field on fire, it's a field fire. Yeah. There's a lot of a lot easier ways to contain that. You know, that just t- requires water. I'm not saying it doesn't require a fire line, but brush trucks are definitely useful because you can go in behind what's burnt, knock it down, um, knock down if it's coming towards you. That, that's where it's it's helpful for the brush trucks. But, you know, when you get it, like you said, when you get a fire in the pines or moving uphill, you know it's going to be, it's going to move. You know that you're in trouble at that point, especially if you have a wind, the humidity's right. Um, you know, and it, it just, it, it'll take off on you. And if you're not careful, you know, you can get guys that are getting hurt or, you know, getting in serious trouble if they're not paying attention. And I think one of the things we don't train on enough in the rural aspect is brush fires because you get it twice a year, right? You get it in the spring and the fall. Yep. At least in our area, um, we get and, and we don't really see any summertime brush fires, and that's good, you know, for us. But the, the springtime when everything's dry and the leaves are still down, and then the fall time once the leaves fall, and it's always uh, I don't want to say always, but majority of it's careless burning, or if it's a windy day, power lines drop, and we've I've seen a lot of power lines that have been coming down and starting brush fires, especially out in the middle of nowhere. They're taken off well before anybody even sees it. By the time you see it, you got a column. You're like, uh oh, that isn't good. So, you know, we see a lot of brush fires that are, like I said, a lot of it's careless. A lot of it's people that are burning, uh, careless burning that the embers take off. They go into the woods. Next thing you know, there's an acre on fire behind their house. Um, you know, and then at that point, it's already got an acre going. And if it's relative, the relative humidity is right and the wind's right, you know, you're looking at three acres by the time you really get anybody on the line. Right. So, Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's common. And I think, but again, I think we don't really train enough for it because we do it twice a year and you might have, Greg, you average the most out, I think out of all of us, um, brush fire wise, you guys average what, five or six a year? Uh, yeah. So where we're at and Jake's actually pretty much the same way. We're right in the area where I think a lot of it's because we have, we have a heavy, heavy camp presence. Right. So when we get into spring and fall, that's when we get all of our campers up there, you know, trying to get things cleaned up and, and, and get everything in order, whether it's for deer season or whether it's for summertime, whatever. So that's generally when we start seeing a lot of, a lot of activity like that. Um, now the unfortunate part that we have, we're kind of similar to you. We have a large, you know, we've got Elma Hill that's in our district. And once you get to the top of that, that's actually the highest point in the Southern tier. So we get into a lot of valleys and we get into a lot of steep areas where these fires, they're spreading quicker than we can, than we can get in front of them. Well, in those valleys and stuff, there's like a natural funnel for air. So you're, they're going to take off on you. There is. And then, so what's funny about that is we don't have, we don't have many big fires. I don't want to say, but what's funny is, so we basically, we have the departments around us to work with, but that's it. We don't have... I mean, D.C., they do have some some firefighting vehicles as well, but nothing that's anywhere close to us. Yeah, the closest Whereas, the, the closest uh, wildfire units that the state fire owns are out of Bath, which is about an hour from us. Exactly, exactly. So, like, where we are, I'm, I'm, I like it because I actually get to see both sides. We're right on the PA border, so we get to work with Shingle House quite a bit, too. So we go over there and we get to work with, 
with the Encon down there, and they'll show up and they'll be fully outfitted. Hey, this is what we have. This is what you need. I mean, they can go. They can go as far to do airdrops, whereas we don't have that ability here. Yep, I've, twice in my life I've been in airdrop situations. Once in Cowder Sport and once down in Austin. Man, I still haven't gotten to see one. I hope I live to see one someday in my life. Or be it was, it was crazy. Jasper, they should. That would have been a. That would have been a huge benefit. Yeah. It would have been. I asked about it, and they just kind of laughed at me, so I just gave up. Yep. It, and I, and Greg, we had this conversation a little bit ago about the DCNR in in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. DCNR is a, is very well outfitted, um, and they are they're your support. Like they're coming in to say, "Hey guys, you know, we've either got enough resources coming, you guys can clear, or they're going to work hand in hand with us to to get the fire knocked out." And I think um, you and I are actually on the same brush fire out by Ram Forest. Um, yeah. You know, very close to the state line, but still in Pennsylvania. Um, and we were out there, uh, and DCNR came out, and they were great. They were great to work with. They helped us manage the the scene, and we're in contact with everybody. And it was actually it worked really well for all of us. I think. Yeah, that was a few years ago. Yeah, that was just a you know a day or two ago. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, so let me ask you this: How do you guys work your accountability? As far as so. I know that we all kind of try to do the same. We try to keep good accountability when we're at any incident. But how do you guys go about making it easier on yourselves, making it easier on your officers to keep track of people at when you get into those larger scale incidents? Uh, I say probably try to take. I always try to take a put a department on the line, so that way the the chief or the the officer of that crew, whether it be the most senior firefighter or if there's a chief officer, or a, um, you know, command staff officer or a junior line officer, they could, you know, basically keep accountability for the crew. So when you call out, like, it's hard to keep track of the um, the amount of apparatus you have. Like, for your, for instance, for you guys, you'll have um, Allentown 4, Allentown 6, and Allentown 7, um, you know, out on your scene. So then you got to try to remember, okay, I've got Bolivar 6, Bolivar 7, I've got uh, Andover 6, 601, which I don't know if that's your UTV or not, but... Um, just for example, throwing that out there, you're trying to keep track of all these numbers of apparatus and staffing. So the biggest thing is if you're, if your 911 center keeps track of your staffing, you you have an idea of how many people you have coming. That's one thing we're fortunate with in Dauphin County. They keep track of every rig that goes out the door. They keep track of the staffing. And if you don't mark up with the staffing, they're going to ask you what your staffing is. So that way the incident commander, you know, when they, when they, okay, you've got the, you know, your first alarm brush assignment coming, you've got, you know, 25 personnel on the street. That gives me a better idea of what I have coming. Do I need additional resources? And then what rigs are they with? So that way we do accountability checks, um, you know, every 15, 20 minutes. Um, we can check with the, the officer of the rig. That way I don't have to worry about, you know, and I just write down, okay, I've got uh, company 23 and 22 on the left flank. I've got company 2212 and 66 on the right flank. Um, you know, so that way I know who I got where and who the officers are for those departments. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's similar. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I guess I've never really messed with the dispatch, whether, the, you know, what, you know, I mean, they could tell me what's on the road or what's checked on scene, but I think, you know, that's, that's the gist of that. But <clears throat> so what I do is 90% of the time, not all the time, each department, when they roll a truck in, they're going to have an officer or a chief, you know what I mean, with them. So if we have multiple departments working in, then I'm going to make sure that team is headed up by that chief. And then that chief and I will communicate through a fire ground frequency. 
Um, so that way we can keep in contact. Now, as far as like, so if we pulled Alan Town in, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> we'll never if say we that. pulled Alan, what? We'll never say that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> we can't catch you, bud. Um, if we pull, if we pull Alan Town in, um, Greg's gonna come because you know Greg lives, breathes, and eats the fire department. So. So when Greg gets there, and be like, all right, Greg, here's your assignment. I want you to go take care of the Bravo sector of this fire, and I want you to knock her as best as you can and build me a fire line. And hopefully Greg will be like, okay. And then as Greg goes off and does that, let's say plans change. And, and you know, Greg's going to be accountable for all of his people. But if plans change or something happens or wind shifts direction to the Bravo side, um, then I'm going to, instead of trying to run over there, I'm going to communicate directly to Greg on Fireground 4 because that's usually the Fireground we pick. And be like, hey, this is what we got going on. This is what we're moving. If you can get your team to do this, and that's how that's how we're going to operate. Um, have we really? Have I had a chance yet as a chief to to do that yet? No. So in my head, everything sounds good. I feel like it would work out, but have I had a uh, uh, chance to actually execute on that? No, I have not. Um, only because we we get a ton of fires here in andover outdoor fires not a ton of them but you know like four or five of them a year but usually they're small enough that we'll handle with one brush or one or two brush trucks you know what i mean um but that's how we handle that's how i handle my on-scene operations for just any incident um if we have mutual aid in on an mva or if we have mutual aid in on a structure fire um Whoever's their captain, their chief's going to take care of their guys, and then they're going to radio. That chief will radio to me, so that way I don't have ten different people trying to talk to me. I only have one. But right. you know, like I said, I guess I haven't tested the theory whether it'd work, but it sounds like it would. So here, here's the here's the problem with that, um, and I shouldn't say it's a problem. Uh, so you take middle of the workday. Me. What? What? No, go ahead. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, you take. You take middle of the workday. Uh, you got guys, yes, you're going to have your truck crewing up, but you take the general brush truck around here, you might fit two, maybe three people in it. So what we end up with is we end up with a bunch of people driving personal vehicles to the scene. You know, whether they're, They might be coming from work, they might be coming from home, wherever. So all of a sudden, you run into... You don't have crews that are with their, with their department. You might have... You know, I might have... Sile members and Wellsville members mixed here. I might have Ball or Richburg members here, Shingle House here, Allentown, Alma here. Uh, so the problem that we always run into is that while yes, I could contact any of the chiefs, they always answer all the all the officers. They're really good about that, but it might be a situation where they don't even know who what members they have of their own there. And now, of course, that responsibility comes down to the departments and making sure that they check in with their officers and let them know, hey, I'm here, you know, what what the task is there. But also as the incident commander, it falls on you because you need to be held accountable for everyone on that fire scene and making sure everybody goes home. So I think that's, uh, and I think Dave's right, I think there's a lack in training on on situations like that. You know, same same way with searches, I'll even go, go on that side. So up here... I don't know, Dave, I don't know if you guys do a bunch of it down there, but we will generally get into some, you know, lost hunters or missing vulnerable adults or, or whatever it is. So we'll get into the same thing and it operates kind of the same as how your general woods fires do. So well, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about searches a little bit, because that's something that I can tell you here. I have not had that. We had, we had one, but it was something that was 
like internal to the town so it wasn't like it was out in the woods but i've had my fair share of searches obviously you guys all know just as much as i do it happens every year you have the lost hunter you have the um you know the guy that's really at the bar <laughs> you know and everybody's out in the woods looking for two hours for the person and he's like hey what are you doing here he shows back up the camp um you know we got in the habit of just calling around and finding out they were there first before we went out but um you know there are the legit searches um that you're out all night you're out the next day um we're fortunate again um in the the pa side of things we do have quite a few active search dog groups um and we actually have i know in um like just south of the potter county area in the elk county area they have two different search and rescue groups you have mountaineer search and rescue and elkland search and rescue and they don't just do search and rescue they do technical rescue they do um, water rescue they have a lot of different um facets that they do but it's a resource you guys are kind of stuck up there as far as you guys have to get your departments together do coordinated grid searches um you know we have the availability of if we need it you know and the weather's decent we could potentially have um, psp put a helicopter in the air it hasn't happened often but i've seen it um so you know what do you guys what do you guys have to do so the nice part is about up here now is They've gotten, so take our sheriff's department. Uh, so they, they've got into the drone business now as well. So we do have a drone that's available to us, which is which is a great asset. Uh, Allegheny, who's just the next county over, they're really good. They have a great, they have a great drone team assembled as well. You know, they have actually more than, more than one and multiple pilots. So those are useful and helpful a lot into the searches. The one thing that's kind of gotten to happen up here, and I don't necessarily agree with it, but it's kind of a work in progress. You'll hear the, you know, the missing, the missing elderly male out in the woods. And we've gotten to where we don't even want to send the fire department out to. Well, I think that's a problem. So now we're taking and relying solely on a drone search, which yes, that's absolutely a useful tool. And I love it. But to have a good grid search set up, I think that the fact that we're not using that, I think is something that needs work. Um, you can't beat a good grid search. Once you get in there on your... Once you actually uh, start getting out there... I like, how, it, you can see a lot I like how when radio traffic comes through, we all get quiet. <laughs> So, so for the listeners who listen to this episode, so the reason why sometimes we break is uh, there's some interesting things going across the dispatch right now. So when you hear us cut all of a sudden mid-sentence, that's what it is. We're just listening to the calls because even though the podcast is important to us, we're still firemen at heart. We can't help not listening. <laughs> well, yeah, and it seems like everything going on is something that borders us that's close or, or right now. Yeah. My ambulance agency is out dealing with this one incident, <laughs> so it's it's something to listen to. Um, yeah, did you let everybody know that you're the quote unquote acting rescue uh, commander? No, no, just just occasionally fill in. <laughs> so, but that, but that's the same thing. So let's take that. Um, so my rescue squad out in Wellsville. We have a specific setup. We have GPSs. We have the topo maps. We have the full system to be able to incorporate into our searches. Uh, I think it's very underused, as a matter of fact. But that also partly comes with lack of training, lack of, you know, knowing resources, lack of working with your mutual aid companies. So I think those are 
those are stuff, those are things that we can do better on. Um, guys, I'm going to, I'm going to mute real quick. Uh, it's my father-in-law's birthday and my wife's calling so I can sing him a happy birthday. So give me a minute. Oh, just leave the mic on. I'll listen to you saying. I don't know if anybody got out. Oh. But yeah, Dave, so I I know I, I you haven't had any real searches down there, but you're down into coal country and things like that where you're dealing with a lot of different elevations and things like that. So in your mind as chief officer, how would you operate that? Or, or are you in charge of the incident or how does that work? Do you have a special search? Yeah, so I'd be, no, so I'd be in charge of the incident. It would be um, definitely something that we would be doing. It would be a coordinated effort, right? So we'll put the unified command system in, in operation. So we'd have a uh, EMS commander, fire commander, and typically PSP would have an, uh, you know, the corporal or one of their officers stationed at the command post. Um, and we would coordinate the the effort, whether it be search dogs, whether it be grid search, whether it be helicopter, drone, whatever. We'd coordinate and come up with a game plan. Um, here the problem is, and, it, and you just kind of piqued my interest a little bit with what you said there, um, because I really didn't think about it. There's a lot of um, mines that are uh, collapsed um, that people could fall down in holes. Um, I know in an area just over the mountain from us, um, it was real big, like coal mining area. Williamstown itself was a big coal mining area and we still have a deep underground mine, but back in the 1800s, it was a big coal mine. And what's happening is these tunnels or the shafts are starting to collapse, causing big craters in the ground. And if you're not paying attention or don't know what's going on, you could fall into one. And then the problem is how you get somebody back out now, because it's a straight sheer drop into what that, you know, uh, shaft used to be where it used to be, you know, and it could be, I don't know how many feet deep, you know what I mean? Until you actually hit the bottom. So, um, you know, things we'd have to try to keep in mind, you know, rope rescue teams, we'd have to bring a coordinated, um, rope rescue team from the city of Harrisburg, um, you know, or York County has a couple, um, rope rescue teams. I mean, we're all trained in rope rescue. Don't get me wrong. And we could do that, but to set up a, a hall system and that kind of stuff as a small volunteer company, we just don't have the, the tools and equipment to, I mean, we can do low angle rescue, but a high angle rescue, we're, we're going to be, you know, out of luck. We don't have any air monitoring, um, which is something we should probably look into, but there's a lot of other things that, you know, come into play at that, at that point. So then, you know, you have to kind of keep in the back of your mind, what other resources might I, might I need, you know, along those lines. I know, um, interestingly enough, there was an incident last year, I believe at one of the local camps around here, there was actually, a a rope rescue that had to happen. Um, they had an elevated ropes course and there was an individual stuck on the ropes course. Um, so they actually had to bring in Harrisburg city, Wiccanisco went, but a few other agencies involved to do, to extricate this person from the elevated rope course back down to the ground. So it was, uh, definitely an interesting call to listen to. I, I wasn't there, but I mean, it sounded like it was great work by everybody. And we are fortunate that we have some well-trained people around us. Not that our department's not well-trained. We are. But it, it's nice to have people that focus on specific assets or, or you know, um, types of calls. Right? So, like, Wiccanisco is a great rescue department. Um, they, they have a lot of training across the board and a lot of stuff. So, it's nice to have them, on you know, coming in and also to assist. Um, you know, Sheridan's a rescue company. Um, Likens, our truck company, they, you know, all have aspects and Likens is great too. I mean, they have rope rescue training They're They're, you know, they can pick patients out of windows with the truck and all that fun stuff. So, um, you know, it's great to have that in your 
kind of in your back pocket if we have an incident here, you know. Um, so you never know what you're going to get into with a search. And that's the other thing. Like, so we have the coal mines, like I said, but you guys have similar situations in hunting season with, you know, people falling from tree stands. Um, I've been on a few of those. You've been on a few of those, I'm sure. Um, you know, hanging from midair with their, uh, with their harness, you know, or we had, um, we had one that the guy fell out of a tree stand and, uh, he was halfway up a pretty steep hill. And he broke, oh, I don't something. I think he broke his leg, but, like, bad broke his leg. And I, I remember that call because that was probably the most painful call I've been on in my life. You know why it was painful? Did you fall? So as what? we were hiking up to him with our ropes so we can get him out, um, unfortunately, in, in like, the, like, right at the end of the grass field, right where, like, the woods would start, buried under a bunch of leaves was a roll of barbed wire, and I caught my foot in it. But, like, I didn't realize it, and the way I moved just right, it, like, wrapped around my leg, and I cut my whole ankle open with all the stupid barbed wire. That hurt. Well, so, interestingly enough, Jake, you and I were actually on a uh, kind of a high-angle rescue together not all that long ago over in Whitesville. Uh, I don't know if you remember or not. Wait, Whitesville or Greenwood? You talking about the logger? Was it Green? I thought it was Whitesville. Yeah, that would have been Greenwood, because okay. that's like right where the three corners are, Greenwood and Whitesville, oh, okay. Andover. I'm pretty sure that was Greenwood. Okay, so yeah, um, so that situation, Andover was requested for the URTV to help get the patient out. Um, I was there with, with our medic unit. Well, and actually, this is this is a good uh, this is a good plus for your guys' UTV. We had three bigger guys on this poor UTV of Andover's, and that thing chugged right up into the woods with us on it. Well, but it goes all, it goes anywhere you want it to go. Yep. But we didn't know <laughs> we didn't know when we got out there that the gentleman that was injured happened to be down over actually quite a steep little uh I don't know if I want I don't really want to call it a ravine, but quite a steep little little hill. Yeah, it was about it was about a twenty, thirty foot drop, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was and it was it was it was pretty big. So uh so we actually got to do to got to uh, do a little rescue together, and that was that was very that was interesting because we're not used to working together like that. But uh, but that was a situation where I loved having Jake there because one, I didn't have to walk my big ass out there or back. He was able to do things right. So so oh man, but same deal. Yeah, but well, that's the nice part. Yeah, can we just take a step back though and look at? like what we truly deal with in the, in the real end of things. Right. So we went from brush fires to searches. Now we're talking, we do have to do a lot of land rescues. There's a lot of land rescues that we have to, um, you know, whether it be a down logger, snowmobile ATV accidents. Um, there's a lot of stuff that we have to do that we aren't sure, you know, where's this person even located? Well, we got a cell phone ping here, you know, and they're, this is the closest we can get them to you or, uh, agricultural rescue. You guys are big. I know Greg, your rescues do on, um, some Pennsylvania boxes, um, you know, Genesee area, those places for uh, agricultural rescues, that kind of stuff, silo rescues, uh, you know, um, anybody that gets like their arm caught in something or anything like that, um, you know, you guys are going to be going. So there's a lot of things that we as rural fire companies really have to experience that's not out of the, you know, the realm of possibility, I guess. Yeah. So that's the thing is there's a lot of times where we'll get out into the woods where there's no there's no cell service, there's no landmarkers, there's no houses, there's nothing for miles around. Uh and I, I think 
the fires, the searches, the the tech rescues, all that I think goes hand in hand. I think that's something that, and you see most departments around here, and I'm sure the same down there. Everybody's trained up to a certain extent on it. Mm-hmm. You take almost any almost any department, they could throw a rope and do a, you know, do a certain amount of it. Uh, yes, there's not. There's not a ton of departments that are really trained up crazy on rope rescue. I know I know Andover does quite a bit of it and they're really good at it. Um but then you take you take a lot of the county up here and you don't see the departments that are really equipped as well onto that. And it's hard, but it's one of the things where take me as chief in Allentown. I need to focus on training for the incidents that we have. Uh right. now in the and and we don't we don't have a ton of we're fortunate we don't have a ton of those high angle low angle rescues but when we do I call them the appropriate the appropriate yeah resources for yeah right right and, and I think that's part of it but then then it seems goes the other way you know that company might need something that we're more proficient at and they'll call us in for that so that's all part of it you work hand in hand all right yeah. But my, my point being is we, we we see a lot of crazy stuff, though. It might be once or twice a year, like logging accidents. You might see it once or twice every couple of years. Um, it's not something that's very consistent, but you do see it. Um, you know, uh, I know in some areas, like, none of us really have to deal with that. I don't know if you guys, uh, Jake, I don't know if you guys do, if there's any, like, local landfills and stuff around. But, um, like, landfill incidents where uh, things are collapsing or you have heavy equipment rollover. Anything like that, um, stuff you gotta try to kind of plan for. Um, but the, the the searches, the brush fires, the land rescues, all stuff that we we see at least once a year. All of us. There's not one of us that don't. Um, same with the agricultural stuff. There is at least a silo fire, or silo rescue, or you know something agricultural related. Right. So the silos. That's an interesting thing. There's not. There's not many silos around us, but there are some. Um, and, and actually, to my knowledge, nobody any nobody in this county is actually equipped for silo rescues that I know of. I think no. I know I, I know uh, what what's his name from Saddlemaker Fire Department is. He's he, I, I don't know if we like to say names on the podcast, but you know who I'm talking about. He he is uh, certified for silo rescue, huh? Joe, are you talking? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great, but that doesn't do you a whole lot of good if we don't have the equipment. Yeah. So I think I think Harrison Township, Potter County has uh, air monitoring and the silo. Uh, like they do have the silo trainer and everything. I, I believe maybe it's Ulysses. One of the two, I think. But they're they're heavy agriculture where they do run into those incidents. So like uh, Ulysses Genesee Harrison Township area are heavy agriculture and they have um, like I, I want to say that they are monitors on their rescue and I may be mistaken but I'm almost positive they they have the resources. Yeah, yeah. So and that's an interesting thing and and that's something that you know if we ever did get into an incident because we actually do have a couple silos in our district. I don't think they're I don't think they're actually active anymore. But if that was the situation, you know, that's something where. I guess I'll say I'm kind of a failure to chief because I don't know who I call. You know, hopefully either one of our coordinators or, you know, our emergency management coordinator for the county or between between Allegheny and Potter County, you know, hopefully we'd be able to come up with where it is. But, uh, but yeah, that's not something that we generally see here. Yeah. The, problem, the biggest problem is on top of that is the extended response time. Right. 
Yeah. You know, there's nothing close. And we've got the same problem. I mean, yes, I'm in a very, very close to an urban area. Don't get me wrong. I'm very close to an urban area, but um, there's no quick resource. You know what I mean? If, if it's something technical above what a basic rescue can do, not a basic rescue, but an advanced rescue. But I mean, with like air monitoring and all that stuff, we were calling it from a, a significant distance. Well, yeah, if you have to call anything out of Harrisburg, you're still looking at almost an hour. Yeah, it's pretty close to an hour. In a fire truck, it's definitely an hour. Yeah, yeah, and they have to go up over a mountain. Yep. No matter how you look at it, yep. All right. The thing that we have around here that we always have an issue with. 725 Eisenhower Boulevard, 725 Eisenhower Boulevard, the Courtyard Marriott, Crossway of Clover Lane and Lindell Road, Fire Alarm Class 1, 91 inches. There we go. So we have a we have a lot of oil wells that are open around here. So that's yeah. something we have to watch out for, especially with kids, because we get a, we get a lot of kids for, for camps that are out running around in the woods and things like that, and a lot of these wells are left open. So that's actually a concern that we have. Yeah, I think we touched on that a little bit last last podcast, where you know, like the oil, the containment fire, the uh, storage fires. Uh, that's something else you guys would really worry about. I mean, you guys have stuff that's. Like it's been there for a long time. You have tanks that have been there for a long time. You have uh, storage imp- that was implemented, or maybe not. Um, you know, with with um, you know, like a containment area around it. Some don't. So I mean, you have potential that could get pretty bad pretty quick. Right. Well, yeah, that's the thing. And then, so actually, I and I can deal with that. But then, I mean, I'm not going to get crazy into this. But there's so many different things that we could touch on. Take Jake's district now. You know what he's surrounded by? He's surrounded by windmills and um, solar panel farms. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so that's that's interesting though, Jake. What do you guys do to train on windmill? If there's any windmill incidents or any solar panel incidents, how do you what do you do? So the windmill incidents we haven't really trained on. Um, yeah, we do have a lot of windmills around us, but they're in the surrounding district. So Andover enacted a law. Um, cause we didn't want windmills in Andover. So we enacted a, uh, a, a law of not allowing, I forget how they did it, but making it like a height requirement law. So that's why there's no windmills in Andover, uh, for the solar panel. We did do a, um, we did hold a class at the fire hall. Um, it, it's a state certified class. It was a little disappointing cause it didn't really get too much into, actual solar farms they talked more just about thermal runoff um things of that nature you know especially with like the electric vehicles um talked about how a lot of structure fires happen from people who go and buy those those really cheap chargers off of ebay for like their their ion tools you know what i'm talking about like the, yep. the charging banks of six how that'll create too much heat which then causes thermal runoff which will then you know cause a structure fire to start um the thing, the good thing about us though is, is I'm not sure Alfred Station has two, two wind, uh, two uh, solar farms going in. I don't know much about because I haven't sat down and really talked to the chiefs over there. The one we have in our town village, around town village line, does not, does not have any storage, any battery backup storage. So that whole solar farm is directly put on right into the grid, and that's that's where solar farms get the worry from you know if, if 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 a solar panel catches on fire catches on fire it is what it is electrical fire you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but where the problem comes in is where a lot of these solar farms will have um 
um, storage. You know what I'm talking about, like the battery storage. That's where the problem is. But luckily, our solar farm does not have any battery storage, so we don't. Guess we're not too worried about it. Um, it's really ugly. No, I'm not against renewable energy, but you know, Andover has a very. I'm going to get a little bit. I'm going to go on some politics here of Andover, but. Um, Andover has a really nice charm as a small village with a nice main street, stuff like that. And then just as you start coming out, you know, heading west out of Andover, unfortunately, you got this solar farm that took up like three acres of farmland. It's it's a pretty big solar farm. Um, it just stinks because I, I think what bugs me about it is none of that power gets applied back into our grid. It doesn't go to our village. It doesn't. You know, so it's like you got this giant solar farm that we all have to look at all the time and there's no benefits for us. So it's kind of like, you know, it just sucks a little bit, but there's no zoning in Andover. So there's nothing that could stop stuff like that from coming in. And it is what it is. So that's that's those are topics that we're going to need to definitely do do an episode on is the different things like that, because actually the windmills, even though they're not necessarily in your district, that's still something that if there's ever a large scale incident there, Andor's probably gonna see probably gonna see part of it. Wells Rescue's probably gonna see part of it. So I think that's that's stuff that's remember, really remember when the one burned last summer? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not a whole lot you can do other than watch it. Yeah, that, I mean that's all they did was and then they blew it up and then they yeah. they messed up the first time they blew it up, so they had to they had to hit it a second time to get it to knock down. <laughs> Yeah, but that's all part of it. And then you're talking this this goes right along with the wildfires and things like that. You're talking remote areas, you're talking hard to access. Yeah, because once those roads are done, once they're done with those, they they reclaim almost everything in there, and that road just basically over you know grows over. It's a little different than like a logging road. Um when it's all said and done. I mean it, it's you know, they don't really go up and frequent it that often, I don't believe. Yeah. Right. Well, good. Well, I think this was an interesting topic talking about this stuff. We kind of jumped around, but it all comes back to the same thing. Well, it's all re- it all relates. I mean, it's all you're, you're still you're still getting you know basically it's the I don't want to say more labor intensive, but it is a very labor intensive part of what we do as volunteers, um, especially in the rural areas, um, brush fires, that kind of stuff. That's that's hours of even if it's not you know a big fire, one or two acres, you're still got hours of being out there digging the fire line doing overhaul doing mop up making sure all the hot spots are out um you know and then then going back and clean everything up it, it is is i guess you could relate it to house fire it's kind of the same you're out there for a long time doing that same thing um but it depends on you might need additional resources or more resources than a house fire depending on how big the fire is and what you're looking at so the same thing with searches same thing with land rescues we don't never know what you're getting into yeah Definitely. Yeah, so, well, anyways, uh, I think we've probably rambled on long enough, so we can probably close this episode up of it. Um, is there, unless there's, is there anything else you guys want to talk about or bring up before we get going? No, I think that's it. Um, yeah, I don't got anything I can think of off the top of my head. So basically, in the Other end, just, Jake, Jake doesn't well, like just, wildfires. Yeah. He doesn't like carrying heavy stuff and... Basically, it's just uh, getting feedback. You know, we need to get feedback from our listeners to see if there's anything we touched on. If there's anything we touched on so far 
that you want us to go a little bit more in depth with, just let us know. Like, obviously, we're just skimming the top of all this stuff. There's nothing really in depth that we're going into. So if there's more operational questions or, like, resource questions that we, we utilize that you may have available to you that you're not sure about using, anything like that, just let us know. We can definitely, you know, expand upon this conversation more as we, you know, go through. That, and I think we're still still trying to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Still trying to find our groove uh, on the podcast. Like, we like talking about, you know, a lot of the fire stuff and things like that. And there's probably more we could talk about or maybe a little bit of a different format but we're still trying to we're learning we're still trying to figure that out so yeah hey before we get going i believe our next episode we're actually going to have a special guest um dave you're more familiar with him than we are why don't you just give us a quick rundown of who it is and 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 a little bit on his background just so everybody has an idea of what we're going to be looking at yeah so um we had uh one of the one of our people that listened actually um reach out and say, Hey, I'd be interested in, you know, coming on the podcast and talking. It's kind of a, a little bit different for us. Cause he is a, a career fireman. Um, but he also lives and runs as a volunteer in the, the rural end of things. So he gets to kind of see the best of both worlds. I think it'd be a great, um, person to have on just to kind of get his experiences, share his experiences and see how he takes what he learns in the, in the career world and what he sees in the career world back to the, the volunteer world and, and uh, see what kind of meshes there. Um, so I think we'll be uh, we'll be able to get him on and you know get a good podcast. I think. Oh, yeah. I'll let him introduce himself when he comes on. Yeah, I think it'll be a good podcast. It'll be interesting to see to, you know what he thinks versus what we think. So. Yeah, there are going to be differences. I mean, he but he understands it. I think from the volunteer perspective because I think you know he cut his teeth in the volunteer side, so. You know, that perspective is when I'm not talking. I'm yeah, it's going to be different. I do it over here. Oh, so. Yeah. so, yeah, that'll well. be interesting because him and I tend to get into some good discussions. So I'm sure everybody will enjoy that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they like to, they like to fight everybody. So it'll be fun. Maybe we'll <laughs> see. May the, may, may the the good man win next week. Next <laughs> no, he, he's a good he's a good guy. And I think he's going to be a great addition to the show. And it'll be nice to actually get get a guest. Somebody on. on. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep, so um, but otherwise, uh, I think that uh, we've pretty much wrapped this up. And like we said, if anybody's got any more questions, shoot us, shoot us a message, get a hold of us. We want to hear some feedback. We want to start getting into this things and get going hot and heavy with it. So, so don't be afraid. Reach out to us if you want to be on the show. Get a hold of us. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So, uh, otherwise, I guess if you guys are all good to go, then we're gonna go ahead and end this episode and look forward to talking to everybody in the next. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Right, everybody. Thanks for being here again, guys. <laughs>